Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Joining us now is Marvin Lowe, Senior Global Macro Strategist over at State Street. Marvin, good morning to you, sir. It's wonderful to have you with morning. us on the program to kick off the trading week. CPI a little bit later this week. We get retail sales as well. Marvin, once we get to Friday, what do you expect that data to look like? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to get a continuation of the, the positive trends with the um, with the core data. Um, you know, certainly PCE raises the risk that uh, it, it might be a little bit uh, of an upside surprise. But, you know, kind of having said that, given where we were in the summer, I think we're moving in the right direction. Um, the consumer remains strong. So there kind of um, continues the, the challenge that the Fed has in terms of um, in terms of a strong consumer um, and it uh, making it harder to get to Towards those inflation goals. I look, Marvin, at the idea of taking strategy or economics and having a conviction and belief. I love your phrase, painfully neutral. I mean, there we are, treading water here. Do you have conviction where you yeah. can be in the market? Are you convicted to a correction or do you got a gloom bear market out front? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I we need a conviction when we approach um, our portfolio selection process, ultimately. Um, in terms of playing the market with regard to the choppiness around that conviction, I think it makes it to a certain degree harder um, because certainly we're going to have volatility in the market, but it's going to create opportunities if we believe in ultimately that conviction. Um, you know, I do think that the recession risk remain out there and um, the higher for longer conversation becomes a harder landing, particularly when we look at kind of some of the spending headwinds that begin to come into the market next year. And then, you know, again, opportunities around that. First study I did this morning, Marvin, was a Bloomberg Financial Conditions Index. I went back way back, 06, 05, 11 ratios folded in there, I believe. It's a toxic brew. And the answer is we are accommodative. We are, are we painfully accommodative? for central banks like you're painfully neutral? Well, you know, I, I think I think we've got um, the policy divergence um, that's starting to emerge globally, and, it, and it's making these conversations interesting for, for us in the macro space, but it's really showing the challenges that all the different central banks have. It's hard to say that the U.S. is um, incredibly restrictive, just given where the economy is performing, whereas you see that transmission mechanism making its way much more uh, readily into the European uh, economies and certainly the economies around the Antipodean. So, um, you know, you do have kind of these these divergences, which is really the challenge that we have going into the end of the year and thinking about policy going into next year. 
And then understanding also the interrelationship between some of these divergences. I think of the Bank of Japan over the weekend uh, raising the possibility of understanding the need to abandon negative yields and even move away from yield curve control as soon as later this year. This is a new kind of time frame. Does that shift your understanding of where U.S. yields should be given that, yeah, there is this divergence, but there's an interrelationship between these global markets? Yeah, I mean, that's significant. Um, you know, the view that Japan is... Uh, finally in a position to make a longer-term decision reversing something that has been, you know, a decades-long policy um, is significant within the global landscape, particularly when you look at it from the U.S. perspective and their participation in the, in the Treasury market. You know, that that's a conversation that we started to have in early August, which now comes to the forefront again if they're not as accommodated, for sure. Morgan Stanley came out and said that they actually have conviction that yields are going to come down and uh, to remain bullish on U.S. bonds. How much do you push back against that? How much do you feel like uh, the stickiness that we're seeing in yields is going to be really the new normal? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be playing a significant decrease in yields um, at this point in time. You know, I do think, again, a, a recession is going to drive that type of conversation. But, um, you know, again, that, that painfully neutral type of view, kind of having said that, where valuations are, I don't mind the income. Um, quite frankly. Um, and I still think that you could think about curve uh, steepeners, but, you know, you, you need to do it more tactically than just looking at a twos tens perspective. You got to look at how long this thing might take and whether or not a five's thirties view makes more sense. Um, but, you know, just simply simply owning treasuries in an environment where inflation is below that yield is a decent return. Are you saying pick up the front end, Marvin? Or are you saying go out? Um, the long I, game? I, 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 like, I, I, like the, I like the belly more. I like the belly more. Okay, so the five to seven year portion of the curve? Yeah. Does the same apply to credit? Because we had a lot of credit issuance last week, and the bulk of that was quite short term stuff, Marvin. I just wonder what kind of signal you take away from that issuance. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's opportunistic for sure. Um, you know, the fact that the liquidity is in the market um, is ultimately concerned. Corporations are taking advantage um, of that. Um, I still think that credit is a challenge. If the short end becomes a risk, um, you know, certainly high yield has a greater risk associated with that. Um, really kind of getting past uh, the choppiness that might evolve uh, over the next two to three years is, is something to be cognizant of. Marvin, thank you, sir, for the update from thank State you. Street. Marvin Lowe, thank you very much. Subhadra Rajampa joins us now, head of U.S. rate strategy at SockGen here on the 47 narratives that were out there. You had to pick a narrative this weekend to go with on Monday, Subhadra. Which is the SockGen narrative right now on what rates will do? Um, I think for the most part, it's going to be wait and see at least for this week ahead of FOMC uh, next week. Um, broadly speaking, if you look at our, our uh, the, the price action that we've seen in the bond market, the front end seems to be very anchored to Fed expectations. The Fed's going to pause at the September meeting. Whether they hike again in November is yet to be seen. But the data that we get this week will kind of guide the dots for next week, as well as set the trend for what potentially the Fed could be doing in November and beyond. Uh, so in that sort of context, range bond markets for the next uh, week or so, we did get a ton of corporate supply that's been pushing uh, 10 year yields higher. We could probably see a little bit more of that momentum. But really, you're going to need more data to direct the markets from here on. 
What's your take, Subhadra, on the implication from the latest missive over in Japan about potentially ending yield curve control, as well as negative yielding policy sometime in the near future and having a better sense of when that would be appropriate by the end of this year? Does that change your outlook for U.S. yields, given the incredible buyer base that we've seen coming from Japan? Uh, absolutely. I think that we've seen a, a pretty decent change in the trend and momentum in yields in August. Uh, granted, it's a quiet month, but we had the Fitch downgrades. You had the change in the YCC policy. Uh, that's definitely putting some pressure on, on, the, on yields, not just in the U.S., but also globally. But we'll have to kind of see how things play out, because at the same time, while they're adjusting policy, you're also looking at a broader slowdown. Uh, Europe, you know, you're starting to see a, a slowdown in growth there. In the fourth quarter of, of this year, we'll probably see that the U.S. economy will also start to come under pressure as the consumers start to pull back a little bit. We've seen a summer splurge. Consumers have been extraordinarily resilient. But, you know, with student loan moratoriums expiring, savings rates starting to decline, delinquency starting to go up, I think that you're going to see a lot more pressure on the consumer in the fourth quarter of this year. And that, again, is something that could probably keep a lid on the rising yields in the U.S. Does that give you more conviction to buy in the government bond space and less conviction to buy on the credit side of things that might be more affected by the weakness? That seems to be where you would want to put your money in if you think that there's going to be a meaningful slowdown in growth in 2024. We've always had a recession in, in 2024. We're moving uh, perhaps away from uh, an, a recession in the early part to more the mid part of the year. But, you know, if the recession is still very much uh, in the cards, and if that were to play out, I think you should start seeing a moderation in, in, in yields or the sell-off in yields we've seen in the back end. Subhadra, I've got to buy a bullet piece on the curve. Which maturity, full faith and credit right now, is most attractive for price up, yield down? Um, the front end is definitely very attractive. The market, in my view, is fully priced in for high for longer from the Fed. So we're, we're basically pricing for the Fed on hold until perhaps the, the, the second, uh, second half of next year and only modest cuts after that point on. So in this sort of context, it probably feels that the place you want to be is, is the very front end because if the market, if the economy does start to slow down and the Fed starts to pivot towards uh, easing or easier policy, then you're going to see the front end start to rally. Hey, Sabatra, it's got to catch up and get the view from Sokshen. Sabatra Japa there. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. 
Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Joining us around the table, Christina Hooper, Chief Global Market Strategist at Invesco. Christina, good morning to you. Good morning. We also need to talk about union disputes, UAW, the Detroit Big Three. Can you tell me from your perspective, is that just a headline risk we're reading in the papers right now? Is that a symptom of a broader, stronger, hot labour market in America that's going to lead to higher costs for some of these companies? Well, I would argue that it's more likely the latter. Uh, and that's because we saw Walmart's announcement last week about lower wages for new employees. Uh, I think actually because the labor market has eased a bit, it's tight, but it's not as tight, um, that what we're seeing with the UAW is probably more of a rear view mirror issue than what we have ahead of us in terms of what I expect to be moderating wage growth. You have a shingle from Cornell, which is, some would argue, the number one labor uh, economics program in the country. Good morning, everyone from Northwestern uh, as well. This is not Walter Ruther's UAW, is it? To explain to us right now your view, Christine, with all your study at Cornell on the atomization of the American labor economy. Is it legit or can there be a reunionization? Well, there certainly can be areas, and we've seen um, moves in different industries towards uh, more unionization. But the reality is that that is a function of the tightness of the labor market. And directionally, the labor market is getting less tight. And so I would anticipate we see less of this activity in the future. This was a very unique environment that we've in, lived in in the last few years, and it really has opened the door to the potential for unionization. But I think going forward, it will be very specific industries where we see this mm -hmm. happening. Real rear view mirror. To me, that's fascinating. The idea that you're saying that this is not going to be what we're going to see going forward. And so from your vantage point, what does that mean in terms of the last mile of inflation that we were talking about and how quickly oh, we can get back to the 2%, how much conviction you can have to go back into longer term bonds? Well, the last mile is going to be hard, but I do believe that we are very much on that disinflationary trend. Not every data point is going to support that narrative, but that will be the case. Um, and actually, I'll point to something that came out last week. The Chicago Fed economists uh, put out a note uh, utilizing their model. Um, they anticipate we'll get close to the Fed's target by the middle of 2024 without a recession. Now, my opinion is it'll be a bumpy landing, but it won't be an actual recession. So there are two schools of thought with this, and it's really highlighted by the Morgan Stanley view of things, and then the sort of Jim Bianco view of things, increasingly the J.P. Morgan view of things as they ratchet up some of their yield forecasts, that when we go back to something more normal, bonds will maybe have lower yields than they have now, but not significantly. Morgan Stanley is the lone bull, right? They're going out there. Matt Hornbach, who is a friend of the show, has said, no, he is still has conviction by now. This is the time to do it. 
Are you in agreement with that? Well, I would argue it is so hard to market time uh, so that it makes sense to at least start to uh, increase exposure <clears throat> now, even if one is not sure um, that, that we've actually hit the peak. Uh, I think this is a time to be, to be uh, starting to increase allocations. The vector, we brought this up a couple times today. I'm not going to let it up. I think it's so important and timely to October 6th. And that is the vector of three-month annualized non-farm payrolls wow, is that moving in a strident direction south? Can you frame a negative non-farm payroll statistic? Well, what I can, I, I don't have a lot of negative things to say right now about the state of the labor market. What we have is labor force participation increasing. Saw it, yes. And we have wage growth moderating. That's what I need to see. Those are the two most important um, data points uh, within the jobs report, in my opinion. Uh, also, if we look at jolts and we see uh, the number of job openings, they've gone down significantly, all pointing in the right direction to maybe not a soft landing, maybe a bumpy landing, but one in which we see a moderation in wage growth, one in which we see a moderation in inflation going forward. Doug Cass writes in, raises an important question about the Detroit Three. Let me throw it at you, Christina, if I can. Deglobalization. Doesn't it just give these workers in Detroit more power, more leverage over their employers? Well, one could argue that deglobalization ha has an impact and serves to boost inflation in a variety of different ways, including potentially this way. Um, but the counterbalance, of course, is technological innovation. So could we get to an environment in which we're a bit above um, the Fed's target in terms of inflation for the medium term? Yes. Um, but I think the Fed's willing to tolerate that because we also saw inflation below target for some time. Christina Hooper of Invesco. John, this is one of my most important conversations of the last 12 months. Uh, Gentiloni at IMF meetings was stunning how acute he was. Let's start that conversation right now with Paolo Gentiloni, the EU Economy Commissioner for the European Commission. Commissioner, wonderful to catch up with you once again, sir. It's been a number of months. We've got the new forecast from the Commission in front of us right here. Can we start with stagflation? Is that the risk for you, sir, from your personal assessment, or is that the reality? Uh, I think it's too soon to to say that we are in a stagflation uh, framework. Uh, what is clear, I think, is first that we avoided the recession, which was not obvious only eight, nine months ago. Um, uh, please consider that, of course, the Russian war uh, against Ukraine is for the EU a, an economic issue, not only a geopolitical uh, threat. Uh, so we address these issues, we avoided recession, but indeed growth is slowing. This morning we present the forecast, and the forecast is for 23 of growth of 0.8%. Is this uh, something um, of long duration? Well, our estimate is that we will have probably a rebound already next year. So this is why I, I would not call it um, abruptly stagflation. Right. It's a moment of easing growth for sure. Uh, Commissioner, Christine Lagarde in a speech in New York in April 
talked about a need for capital reform, market reform in Europe. Obviously, there's a primal scream of fiscal reform in Europe, which you've lived as former prime minister of Italy. How urgent is reform given the war and given the present monetary crisis within Europe? I think it's uh, urgent. Um, we also, of course, should take into account the fact that uh, we are entering uh, in the period where we will have uh, um, European elections. Um, so this is a, a, a challenge, a midterm challenge, not something that we can solve tomorrow. What we have to address now, I mean tomorrow, is the difficulty to find the right balance between supporting investments and uh, addressing inflation. We have the privilege and the opportunity to do so for the first time in the EU story, having behind us a strong, strong, strong tool of common funding, allowing also to weaker um, fiscally uh, member states to invest and to spend. Well, this is the main challenge ahead of us, but I fully agree with Christine Lagarde that we need uh, capital markets uh, reform to uh, regain uh, our competitivity in the global markets. Given the fact that you talked about this challenge between inflation and slowing growth, right now, has the balance of those two risks shifted for you and actually become more important to see growth and that investment and all sorts of uh, roots of something stronger rather than being that much more aggressive in fighting inflation? Well, inflation in the forecast we presented this morning uh, we have growth easing momentum, but also inflation declining. Uh, and so you are right that we are in this uh, narrow path between these two uh, things. I don't think it's um, easy now to say, okay, we won uh, the challenge uh, with inflation, so let, let us concentrate on spending and investments. Um, I think we are near to the peak of uh, interest rates, but the decisions will be taken, of course, by the ECB and not by the European Commission on interest rates. Uh, at the same time, please preserve the good investments. Can we do this also in countries with, without deep financial pockets? Fortunately, yes, because we have these euro bonds, this common funding. And this is the opportunity we shouldn't uh, miss in the coming months. Does that mean you see more potentially, more easing, potentially the ability to raise more money? Paolo, is that what you see further down the line that you can come together and issue more debt? Oh, I, I see the existing programs uh, that uh, at least until 2026 uh, will uh, disburse to member states um, still more than 600 billion euros okay. of common money. Commissioner, we have to leave it there. It was great to see you earlier this year in DC and we hope to do it again early next year. Paolo Gentiloni there, the Economic Commissioner for the EU Commission.
Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Joining us right now, Mandeep Singh. We've got to go right to this. It's so important. Senior Apple analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence as well. And also surveillance tennis expert. Let's digress here. <laughs> Rip up the script right now. I could hear people in buildings cheering. That was one hell of a final men's tournament, wasn't it? It was. Especially the second set was epic. I mean, uh, you don't see those kind of rallies. 36 uh, years old? It felt like he was faltering at one point, and I've seen yeah. this a million times with Novak. It looks like he's lost his legs. He's faking. Second set looked like he was aging. I was ready to say Novak's got old, and then um, Novak got young again. Mandeep, that was kind of the way it went yeah. in the second set. The fatigue, uh, you know, Didn't and the response. Long, right? And uh, look, I mean, the guy is clearly a lot. will argue about it, but he is the goat when it comes to the slams, and probably right. no one can beat his record. When he, comes off the when he comes off the court, he doesn't go, I'm going to Disneyland. He goes, I'm going to Cupertino to buy whatever the new toy is. How is this week going to go for Apple? I mean, away from the modem news, do you got a thumb up on all this soiree for Mr. Cook and all? I think with Apple, you have to think about the features they're going to introduce in the phone. And uh, it's not a guarantee that we'll have a big upgrade cycle. That's why these events are so important, because time and again, we have seen the big upgrades come when they introduce new features, whether it's a camera or something else in the phone. And there has to be that element that's going to rush people to, you know, upgrade their iPhones. Uh, and it's not a guarantee. Well, this is a problem because they've been able to dress up poor unit growth with higher average selling prices. So if there isn't a big upgrade, where are they going to get the higher ASP from? And that's never a good strategy to, you know, extract more in terms of making people pay more uh, because you reduce your install base. I mean, look, right now, Apple's install base isn't growing. Now, for them to take market share, they really need that new phone that everyone is excited about. And they are one company that hasn't talked about generative AI or large language models. You would argue a lot of the inferencing for those uh, generative AI 
has to be done on Apple phones. They haven't even mentioned a word about large language models or uh, generative AI in, on any of their calls. So what's at stake in terms of the new creations in this uh, new iPhone, right? What could they really move the needle with? Is it that much better of a camera? We've done that before. Is it just a faster kind of charging device? Eh, okay, what could it be? Well, so they've shown their Vision Pro demo, and clearly spatial computing is where the next leg of computing is going to grow. I mean, I don't, I'm not betting on Metaverse, but clearly there's an argument to be made that uh, similar to wearables, you could get a big pop in terms of you know the Vision Pro devices and how it really expands the Apple ecosystem. In the end, it's about the Apple ecosystem and the vertical integration that they've been able to do over the last two decades. So in other words, you're saying that instead of having a laptop or a basic computer, we're going to put on goggles and have our phones and be able to walk around and be in a computer. You could argue that is the future, but that's not imminent. Like, it's not near term. It's all about what is it that they can do in terms of expanding the scope of your iPhone to really tailor it to the next leg of computing. And that's why I bring in the generative AI aspect, because Qualcomm uh -huh. has argued you are going to run your large language model on your phone. You're not going to do it on your cloud. That's what inferencing is all about. And Apple hasn't mentioned anything around it. So this event is quite important. It's Mark Gurman's territory, but let's channel Mandeep Singh right now. Is there any discussion about what happens after Cook? Is there like a succession plan or an envelope and a desk or like, like how long does he keep this going? I mean, really, right now they're at a crossroads where supply chain diversification is paramount for investors. And uh, until they fix this in terms of Apple actually diversifying their supply chains, Tim Cook is the guy uh, to, you know, make to facilitate that. Is this buzz about Huawei's new phone legit? Do you appreciate that buzz? Well, I, I think it's very hard for Huawei to embed the latest leading and node chip because Look, China government has thrown a lot of money in terms of building semiconductor manufacturing. But for them to get all the pieces right, chip, packaging, assembly, everything, it's very hard. And we know semiconductor manufacturing is very iterative. That's why TSMC is finding it hard to replicate their fab outside of Taiwan. So I, I, I have my doubts in terms of the phone being as good as an iPhone or... Even a, if it's not as good, yeah. let's say it's three years back. Let's say it's like the iPhone... 12, whatever. Are we missing the mood of a country shifting away from Apple? That's what I'm trying to identify. And if there is a mood shift, does it really matter whether it's the equivalent of the iPhone 12? But why would consumers want a phone that's equivalent to iPhone 12? As a consumer, Chinese consumer, you want your hands on the latest gadget. And, and we know they're very savvy with all the app usage. But if I so. wanted a better phone, wouldn't I just get a Samsung? There's a reason I buy this. And it's not just because it's a decent phone. The Samsung is arguably a better phone. It has a better camera. has done for ages, but I don't buy the Samsung. It's a reason I buy this beyond the technology that it has. I've had it for a long, long time. I'm a part of the ecosystem. It's really, really sticky. But also at the same time, there's some brand recognition associated with this, even here in the United States. And I'm wondering whether that's changed in China, whether that's really the brand you want to carry anymore. I I don't think so. I think you're going to see a rush to upgrade, especially from Chinese consumers, before there is an explicit ban, let's say. And, and in my opinion, everyone gravitates towards you know the perceived attractiveness of Apple. And it's because of the ecosystem. It's a software. It's everything that's vertically integrated about an Apple ecosystem. So how does the ambassador of Tim Cook 
address some of the concerns that have been expressed in share prices, if expressed by analysts at this launch or even in the next couple of weeks, if he wants to maintain that kind of enthusiasm within China, while also maybe shifting and diversifying some of that risk? Well, so they clearly have to work with the Chinese government. And so far, Apple has done a pretty good job. I mean, there is no other megatech company that has 20% revenue exposure to the Chinese end market. And so uh, to give Apple credit, they have been able to work through the issues. But clearly, uh, I think from a China perspective, they yeah. want that local uh company uh, Huawei to uh, start making the phones, and that's why they're investing so much. We, this is on American. we got to change from Apple over to Pumpkin. I mean, this is in this. I saw this like three, four times this weekend. You know how we rush it? We get Christmas decorations out. I know. Like I November know. 1. I Meg know. Terrell over at CNN with the action photo out on Twitter. Thank you, Meg. Their medical correspondent. Pumpkins now, it's 50 days to Halloween. John, you, you, you buy the orb right now. It's not going to make it, carved or uncarved. It's an American illness, isn't it? It's, what are Let's we, go. Let's Lisa, go. help me here. When should we be buying the, okay. the, the okay. pumpkin? Okay, I'm all with you in terms of early decorations. Pumpkins are just, it's fall, and they grow in fall, so they are harvesting pumpkins. But I'll So this is point. like a pre-Halloween purchase. Yeah, it's sort of like celebrating fall, and I can get behind the idea of that, because you can see the leaves starting to change when you go you know, outside of the city. So I I'm had, just saying, I, that I understand of, that. I had three but of them last year. I just, I do agree, though, that pulling out you know, the Easter bunny after Christmas is sort of crazy. Yeah. You know? January 1. Yeah, January 1, all of a sudden, those like marshmallow... So Easter it's bunnies. like buying roses. <laughs> really? <laughs> you, want do, you want to do roses day. on Valentine's Day. Mm. Yeah, you don't want to buy them near Valentine's Day. It's expensive. No, you want to buy them the day after. <laughs> day after. Thank you. So on discount. <laughs> on sale. Mandeep, thank you. Mandeep Singh of Bloomberg Intelligence. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, Tune in and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.